If you have a Bible with you, I'd invite you to turn to John chapter 21. John is the last of the four Gospels that we have that tells about Jesus' ministry here. Uh, We are continuing in our series that we have called Altered. All right, Altered. So we've been looking at moments where people have interacted with Jesus, and because of this interaction, their life was changed or altered from that moment on. And I've loved diving deeper into some of these stories. Uh, Maybe you've heard a lot of these stories many times before. Maybe this is the first time you're hearing them. And when we look at these passages, whether it's for the first time or the thousandth time, uh, we can be changed. We can be altered in the exact same way as we dig into these. That's what I love about this. That the change that was available for these people that, that... physically interacted with Jesus 2,000 years ago is the exact same change that you and I can see in our lives this morning. All right, so I just, I want us to always approach a God's word with this type of expectation that every time we open the Bible, that we are different because of it, that we are looking at it in a way where we're saying, God, change me. I don't want to be satisfied with where I am. I don't want to be satisfied with the status quo. I want to be challenged. I want to be changed. So I want us just to be ready for that. Let's be expecting that and just kind of focus on it this morning. So if you are able and willing, would you stand with me? I want to read just a a portion of where we're going to be looking at today, uh, this morning as, as we start off here. So I'm going to be John chapter 21, starting in verse 15. This is a New Living Translation. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. God, I pray that this passage of your word would speak to us this morning. God, that we would be open to hearing your voice and we would be open to being challenged and that we have not arrived, we have not attained perfection, we are not sinless, we are not perfect in any way. But God, this morning we have a chance to look a little bit more like you. So I, I pray that you would just challenge us in that way. We ask that in your name. Amen. All right, you guys can have a seat. A couple of things that I want us to understand as we jump into this scripture today. Uh, first one is this. John, if you've done a lot of reading through the Gospels, John is a different type of author compared to the other Gospels. All right, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then you have John. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they are all very like the... Uh, the who, what, why, where, when, like kind of factual-based different things. John, on the other hand, John is like your artistic writer, okay? And he has these gorgeous things that he writes about. You know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You're like, it's this amazing kind of like poetic way of writing versus you go to Matthew, and it's like, well, Jesus' father was Joseph, and his father was, and you have like all these different things. Like John is just, he's a different writer. And we need to remember this when we approach his gospel. And what that means is this. He, he purposefully, very intentionally, thinks through every little bit of what he says. I'm not saying that the other guys didn't. But he is just, he has a lot of symbolism in his writing. All right, in John, there are a lot less stories than the other gospels, but a lot more detail. 
a lot of what people are thinking, what is going on, different things, like the, the impact that this was having on people. So when John writes, he just has a different way of writing, and that's, that's important for us to understand uh, as we look at this. The second thing is this, writing books back in the first century was not done in the same way that it's done today. All right, I think often we, we picture one of the biblical authors sitting down in a room and grabbing this big scroll and, and, and something to write with and just sitting there and going to town and, and God's like downloading this message and they're just writing out every single word. All right, like it, there are many people in this time that they were illiterate or they maybe couldn't write. So things were written actually in groups a lot more. Uh, there would be a lot of things kind of gathered together, notes that they've talked about this, they've talked through these things, and they kind of compile this together. And as a group, they're sitting down and writing this. Uh, at times, it was not always the person who says, like, you know, this person is the author of the book. That doesn't mean that they necessarily wrote every single word in that book, or sometimes even any of those words. There was often where they would hire out a scribe that could write things, that could uh, transcribe things as you would say them very quickly. All right, so it would be done with other people. Uh, sometimes it'd be scribes. Sometimes it'd be uh, the person's disciples. They'd kind of be gathered around, and they would be writing these things out. All right, now what would happen is over time, uh, obviously there was no printing press. So if someone had a letter and someone else wanted it, they'd have to sit down and they would copy it. You know, I, I know a lot of you guys know this, but they'd, they'd write this out kind of word for word. And as someone's writing things, sometimes something else would be thought of or said, and, and they kind of write it up in the margin. And they keep writing. And then that would get passed on. Someone else would copy it. And they'd copy that in the margin. The next person would be like, oh, you know what? This actually, this could go right here. And they'd kind of like put it in. Now this sounds really sketchy to us, right? Like if you've grown up having a different view of how scripture came about, this sounds like the Bible would be filled with all sorts of errors, different things. That's not at all what's happening. All right, we believe this is all uh, prior to uh, the Council of Nicaea, where they basically canonized Scripture and said, this is what God has given us, this is God's holy word, this is what we have today. All right, so what we believe we have, regardless of how it came about, who wrote what, different things like that, this is God's word to us, this is the Bible. And this is important for us to kind of understand this, uh, because so John, very intentional writer, what we are looking at today, John chapter 21, is debated whether it was part of the original account that John wrote, or if it was added. Because if you look at this at the end of a chapter 20, it really kind of wraps up almost. It has this finishing line that could be the end of a, a book very easily. And then all of a sudden you have this epilogue where it's like, okay, and, and another story. And so there's some debate. Was this part of it? Was it not? Now there's not a single copy or manuscript that does not have this chapter in it. But some of the thought is that John, later in his life, went back and wrote this because the language looks very similar. Or that maybe after he died, his disciples kind of wrote this because there's, as we'll see today, there was a, a rumor that went around that Jesus had said, John is not going to die until I return. All right, now that's not at all what Jesus said. That's even what it says in John. It's like, that's not what Jesus was saying. But that was a rumor going around. So people are like, maybe John at the end of his life saw the end coming and said, I need to uh, expel this rumor so that people don't think that this whole thing is false just because I died. Or maybe his disciples did that after. But regardless of what it is, for something to be kind of the, this chapter 21, if this is added in there, this would be incredibly important for us because we really have chapters 1 through 20 are, are complete if we wanted them to be. 
So for something to be added towards the end here or have this epilogue, even if it wasn't added, if it was written at that time, the way that John writes, for this to be written here means that this was an incredibly important thought. All right, so that, that's what we have to kind of deal with this morning is this is important. All right, so I want us to take a look at John chapter 21 and see why this is important. Now, I'm going to paraphrase uh, most of the chapter. All right, now it'll be on the screen behind me. You can kind of read through, or if you have a Bible in front of you, you can follow along with what's happening. But I'm going to paraphrase as we go on here. So chapter 1 opens up with some of the disciples at the Sea of Galilee. Okay, Jesus has died at this point. He has risen again. He has appeared to the disciples, and he has, he has told them that he is sending them. All right, so Jesus has commissioned the disciples. Uh, he has a mission for them. All of this is at the end of chapter 20. And yet we open up this chapter, and seven of the disciples, including uh, Peter, James, and John, this would be Jesus' inner circle, the three disciples that Jesus would bring with. He'd kind of pull them apart, and that was his like core group. These guys are part of this. Seven of these disciples are sitting around. They've been commissioned, and yet here they are. And Peter looks at everyone and he says, let's go fishing. And, and this isn't just like, hey, I need a relaxing afternoon. Let's take the boat out and just kind of kick back and see if the fish are biting. Like, that's not what fishing was at this time. This was not recreational. Okay, he would, this is work. Peter is back at fishing. He would have to have a boat. He would have to have usable nets that have been cleaned. He would have to have other people that are helping him. Okay, this is not a relaxing afternoon. Let's just go fishing for some fun. All right, so I want you to imagine this with me. All of these guys, especially Peter, have just had the craziest whirlwind three years of their life. All right, like everything was flipped upside down as they followed Jesus and saw what he did in his ministry. All right, three years earlier, Peter was fishing in his boat and a strange man asks him to push the boat out so he can talk on this same lake. And then there's this miraculous catch and he gives up everything and follows Jesus. But here he is. Peter is back at it again. And he says, I'm going fishing. Goes out to the lake. All right, and I want you to think about this as Peter like, gets up and says, I'm going fishing. He walks out to the lake. Put yourself in Peter's shoes. Okay, think about headed out to a lake. And you just... There's that kind of awkward, like weird silence that's on the lake. And there's this breeze that's coming off that lake, just that kind of slightly cool breeze that hits you when you're going out. You can hear the birds kind of calling. Like just picture him standing by this lake there as all of this is happening and these memories just flood into Peter. I mean, this is what he did for his living. He is back where he is comfortable. All right? He has this flood of memories coming back in. Now, something that would have been heavy on Peter's mind uh, at this time, a burden that he is carrying, um, is things that were surrounding Jesus' death. Peter has a lot of baggage. Peter said that he would be with Jesus to the end. He would never leave him. And yet he denied knowing him three times. And realize this is one of the only events that is recorded in all four Gospels. That means that this is well-known, and this was important, and everybody that's read any of these letters, anybody who's part of the Christian community, they would know this story of what happened with Peter. 
All right? This, this is big, and this is weighing on him. All right, not just like the 12 disciples know about Peter's failure. This is, this is everybody. And he probably thinks about this just about daily, if not daily. Thinks back to that moment where he screwed up and he just kind of messed everything up. All right, and how does he deal with all this weight and this baggage? He goes back to where he is comfortable. He returns to fishing, the thing that he knows best. They go fishing, they don't catch anything. All right, someone from the shore yells out, how are you doing? You know, and fishing didn't go well for them. This person says, throw your nets on the other side. All right, now this seems kind of weird to us that, that you just listen to a stranger on the shore. Uh, but actually, as you read some historical things about the Sea of Galilee, there were spots where on shore you could see schools of fish moving around that you wouldn't be able to see when you're out on the water. So for someone to say, hey, there's a bunch of fish on the other side of your boat, like throw your net out there. That's not that uncommon. So these guys, they throw their nets out to the other side. Um, and they become absolutely full. And at this, John realizes what is happening. He says, it's Jesus. And Peter decides that he can't be tied down by all these fish and the boats. And he dives in. He swims to shore, leaving John and the others to do all of the hard work. All right. Uh, and Peter gets up to the shore, and there's Jesus. All right, so think about this again. Put yourself in Peter's shoes. Peter is back at the lake fishing. Jesus shows up in Peter's life. This crazy miracle of too much fish coming in again happens. All right, this is, again, transporting Peter back to these memories of the crazy experiences that he had that started everything, how everything began for him. And he probably has so much excitement and anticipation for what is going on. Like, I'm going to swim to shore. I'm going to get there. What is Jesus going to do next? What's going to happen is he going to call us and we're going to go again and we're going, to, we're going to go on the road again and I'm going to see miracles again. I'm going to be used. I'm going to walk on the water again. All these things going through Peter's mind. He has so much excitement. And Peter comes up on shore, sees his friend, his Savior, all, and has all this excitement and then he smells something. And this smell would, again, bring back a flood of memories. Have you ever had this where there's certain smells that like you hit them and it just transports you to somewhere else. All right, scientists would call these smell memories or smemories. Totally kidding, I just made that up. All right, that was not a scientific term at all. You can use smemories in front of your friends though and sound really cool, all right. No, but like, do you know what I'm talking about? Where like you just hear these, you, you don't hear, you smell these, these certain smells and it just is like, oh wow. I'm transported back to my grandma's kitchen when she would bake these molasses cookies and it would just fill the house. Or you smell something, you're like, whoa, that smells exactly like Christmas morning. All right, or for me, and I get grief from my wife for this, I smell a skunk and I'm like, oh, all right. It's not that I think it smells good. It's the memories that go with this, all right, of my dad and I traveling around out on the county roads looking for deer late at night, like type of thing. Like that's, I'm just put back in these spots, all right? You have this smell that hits you, and Peter smells something, but, but the problem for Peter is when this smell hits him, it is not good, all right? It is, it is transporting him to a spot of really terrible and painful memories, he looks around, he sees Jesus. Jesus is cooking fish, and he's doing all of this over a charcoal fire, Scripture tells us. 
All right, now there's a specific word for charcoal fire. And it is only used two spots in the New Testament. One is right here when, when Peter comes ashore with Jesus. And Jesus has made this fire and he's cooking. You want to guess where the other spot is where there's a charcoal fire? It's in the courtyard when Peter denies Jesus. It's the only two times that this is mentioned. So Peter comes up on shore and he's hit with this flood of memories. All right, and this is, as you read through commentaries and you read through people that are much smarter than I, than I like this is not by coincidence that this charcoal fire is part of this. It has a distinct smell. And when Peter smells this, he's transported back to that courtyard, to the place of his biggest failure and mistake. It's a memory that he just can't get away from. Right? Like the most embarrassing moment of his life. And all of this is happening in Peter, right in front of Jesus, the person that he betrayed by the charcoal fire. The rest of the disciples come in. Jesus tells them to bring some of their fish, uh, even though he already has fish cooking. I love this. Jesus is always wanting to involve us, no matter what he's doing. Right? Like even when he doesn't need us, he's like, hey, I already have fish on the fire. But sure, bring some of your fish over here. You know, Jesus is always wanting to involve us. And, uh, and then Jesus and Peter take a walk down the beach. All right, have you ever been somewhere where you were maybe called in and someone's going to have a conversation with you and you know the conversation isn't going to be pleasant? Maybe you got in trouble as a kid and your parents have sat you down in their bedroom or on a chair in the living room and they're sitting across or you were called into a principal's office or you were called into your boss's office or you knew something was coming. You had to have a, a DTR, a define the relationship with the significant other and they say, hey, we need to talk, right? And like you just, you know this conversation's coming um, and you just kind of get a little sick to your stomach knowing that this conversation is coming. I can imagine uh, that this is sort of what's going on with Peter during this breakfast time, right? Like he has this flood of memories that have come back. He's sitting there by Jesus. He is transported back to these, these moments where he has denied Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, let's, let's take a walk. All right, now the funny thing is when you're on edge and you feel sick to your stomach and, and you're about to walk into one of these conversations, you notice everything. You notice a shift in body language. You notice uh, a glance somewhere else. You're noticing when they stop talking. Like you are on heightened edge. Like the hair on the back of your neck is standing up. And you're like, okay, when are they going to talk about it? When are they going to say it? When are they going to bring this up? And you have this moment where Jesus kind of says, all right, Simon, now, Jesus named Peter, Peter. His name was Simon, if you remember. And he said, I'm going to name you Peter, which means rock, and I'm going to build my church on you. All right? And Peter is, is playing mental games. He's wondering, like, what is going on here? And all of a sudden, Jesus says, Simon. I know if I were Peter in this moment, you all know where my mind would go? That's it. I'm done. I, I'm, not, I'm not Peter anymore. I'm not Peter. I'm not the rock that Jesus is going to build his church on. I screwed up. 
and he's thinking about all these things because of everything going on around him. And he says, you just called me Simon. My name's Peter. You gave me that name. You're the one that should know that. If he called me Simon, that must have been on purpose. That's where I would go if I were Peter in this moment because I am a mental wreck in moments like this, okay? So Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then Jesus responds and says, I'm so glad to hear that. I was really worried. You know, you had denied me. Uh, and then I saw you were fishing. I didn't know what was going on. No, that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, then feed my lambs. He gives Peter instruction. He gives him a mission in this moment. Jesus asks him the same question two more times, gets the same answer from Peter, and then gives the same mission to Peter. All right, now in the Greek, there, there's a few things happening. Words are changed. The word that's being used for love kind of flip-flops back and forth. Uh, but as you read through this, it doesn't seem like that's supposed to be our focus here. All right, the conversation actually probably wouldn't have even happened in Greek. It would have been in Aramaic. Um, and even the author says that he's asking him the same three questions. So I don't think we're meant to see that. But what is happening, there is something big here. Jesus is very specifically asking Peter three times. Jesus is giving Peter a chance to say that Peter loves Jesus, one chance for every time that Peter screwed it up and denied Jesus in the courtyard. Then Jesus' response to Peter, saying that he loves Jesus, isn't, well, I'm glad to hear that. His response to, is to hand Peter responsibility. He is showing Peter that he still believes in him. That hasn't changed. Peter's calling hasn't changed. How Jesus is going to use him hasn't changed. He is handing him this same mission back to him. And this is huge. Now Peter had said that he was willing to die for Jesus. And then he betrayed him. Jesus goes on to tell Peter that Peter will die for Jesus. And that he will live out of what he had once said he was going to do. And after this exchange, Peter goes on to ask about the other disciple, John. Uh, there seems to be a little bit of a rivalry between Peter and John. Um, and Jesus just kind of corrects Peter and says, don't worry about that. That's not your business. Stay in your lane. I have something for you. Stay focused on what I have for you, not on what I have for him. I was originally going to go through this whole chapter, and there, there's a few things to kind of pull out here. But I actually think there's just one thing that, that as I was preparing this, I really felt God was leading me to focus in on out of this chapter today. All right, this chapter talks about what the job of the church is moving forward. And we can pull and talk about how we shouldn't be comparing ourselves to others like Peter was with John in this moment. All right, but I think today we need to focus just on, on this, this healing that Peter finds from his past. Peter was the guy, he was the leader. He was the one that knew that Jesus was the Messiah. He was the one who walked on water. He was the one that Jesus was going to build his church on. And then he completely blew it. And in one moment of weakness, everything fell apart. And everybody knew it. And that story of his denial, uh, it would have been widespread. And he just can't escape this. All right, so in the wake of the, this failure, Peter would have struggled to do ministry. He probably would constantly feel like everything he was doing for God uh, was trying to compensate for that failure. Have you ever been there? You've screwed up and you try and like, I screwed up once, so I'm going to try and do three, three times as much of good stuff to kind of like balance out the scales here. 
And, and Peter needs this moment. Otherwise, he's going to go on trying to do good things for God. And that's going to overshadow everything else. Right? Because if you're trying to do good, and you're trying to do enough of it to make up for something bad that you did, you're never going to feel like you've done enough. When you've hurt someone in a relationship, like you, you try and do good things to balance that out, but how many of us know like you can't ever erase that? It doesn't matter how much good I do, like the, word, the hurtful words that I said are still there. And Peter's ministry would have been a complete overcompensation for the pain and the hurt and the baggage that he was carrying with him. And we are, when you're working from a place of, I have screwed up so much, I have so much work to do to make up for it, uh, you are never going to be doing work from a place of, of having true joy in your heart. And that's what Jesus has called them to do. He wouldn't have been able to heal. And I think the fact that, that they're out fishing points to that. All right, when, when you're struggling with something, when you don't feel like you can do anything right, how many of us just, we fall back on something that we are very confident in? We're like, oh man, I'm screwing up in everything else. I know I can go and do this. I am good at this. I'm going to go do that. Because I just need to have a win under my belt. I've been, I've been failing left and right. I need to do something I'm confident in. And that's what Peter does. Peter goes out fishing. He goes back to what he knows. And the funniest thing in this, he fails miserably at fishing. They don't catch anything. And I think that this lack of catching any fish probably has God's fingerprints all over it in this moment. Because God is just saying, I don't want you falling back on plan B. I'm not done with you. I have a plan A for you, and I need you to be doing that. So they don't catch anything. Jesus shows up. Jesus wants to bring healing to Peter. Uh, but to do that, he needs all of this pain and hurt and shame and guilt and feeling like he isn't worthy. All of this stuff that is bottled up inside of Peter, Jesus needs that to come up to the surface so that he can deal with it. If we choose to keep all of those things bottled inside of us, Jesus cannot deal with it. All right, like we can choose... We have free will. We can choose to say, no, I'm not dealing with that. I'm keeping it deep down. This is how people go decades with hurts from their childhood, hurts from their family, hurts from something that was said to them long ago, and it still is controlling and manipulating their life and how they see things, how they do things, because they have shoved it so deep down that they don't want to deal with it. And God is saying, well, just bring that to the surface. Let me deal with this. Peter's his own worst enemy and comes up on shore, smells this coal fire, thinking about all these things. What is Jesus going to say to me? They go for their walk. Peter knows the conversation's coming. Jesus calls him Simon. One more thing to bring all this junk to the surface for Peter. Can you just, can you imagine this with me? Like, put yourself in Peter's shoes and you're just like, oh, you can feel all of this boiling up. You're like, I need to get rid of this. Jesus lays out the question, does it again and again, three times. Each time, tells Peter, I trust you. I know you love me, and because of that, feed my sheep. Be the leader I have called you to be. See, Peter is leading. Everyone looks to him as a leader. The problem is right now, Peter is leading them away from what Jesus commissioned them to do and towards what they used to do. 
All because of Peter's own insecurities. He was not the only disciple out there fishing. There's seven of them. The main ones, they're, they're following Peter. Peter is their leader. But when he leads from a place of hurt and pain and baggage, he is not leading them where they need to go. So these three times of saying, I love you, Jesus, for Peter, those affirmations of Peter's love are to drown out those echoes of the denials that he had that are just bouncing around in his head. Jesus is like, I need to bring this to the surface. I need you to deal with this. I need you to understand that it's okay, that I love you, that I still trust you, that I still have a mission for you. Jesus wanted Peter to review these old memories and then to be able to remove them. And the work that God has for you can only move forward when you are unburdened from the destructive memories of your past. Like I know that in this room today, that there are people sitting here today and you have things that you are still carrying with you from your past. I have things that I am still carrying with me from my past. And unfortunately, each one of us, in some way, shape, or form, we are allowing those to shape us. As you interact with people, as you lead people, as you serve in ministries, as you lead at the camp, as you are leading kids this summer, there are things in your life that conversations are going to be steered certain ways because of things from your past. And Jesus is saying, I want to deal with that. I want to deal with it, and I want to move you to where I have you. I have a plan, and I have a purpose for you. Through God's grace and mercy, the ways that we have failed God, the way that we have failed other people, the ways that we have been hurt, we have been let down, can be brought to the surface and, and then dealt with. And when this happens, you can be empowered and transformed and made ready to represent Jesus with a rejoicing heart. All right, God has a mission, a plan, and a purpose for you. And nothing you have done changes that. You haven't lost your ability to be used by God. Like so often when we screw up, we think that means that we can't be trusted again. Worship team, you guys can come. One of the books I was reading this week in preparation for this message was uh, the author was sharing a story. And, and in this, he shares a personal story. He and his wife had some guests over for dinner. After dinner, they're cleaning up. And there's this younger guy who is just incredibly excited and eager to be there. All right, and they're cleaning up. And he's like, how can I help? How can I help? How can I help? So they give him this towel, this, this rag, washcloth to kind of wipe things down. And he's going around, he's wiping things down, he's doing this, all these different things. He's so excited. And, and they're watching him and they're like, man, I can tell that in his eagerness right now, that he's not really fully present in what he's supposed to be doing. And he's wiping and doing these things and he gets this crystal pitcher. And he's wiping around it, wiping on it, all these different things. And all of a sudden they hear the sound of it hitting the floor and shattering into all these different pieces. And he is devastated. Absolutely devastated by this. And they try and assure him, hey, it's okay, it's alright, it's not a big deal, even though it was brand new, like a week ago, it costs a lot of money. They're trying to assure him, like, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And he just keeps apologizing all night long. All the way up, he's leaving their house from the dinner party. He's still apologizing. And, and this guy and his wife start talking, what, what do we need to do so he can understand this forgiveness? And they invite him over for dinner again. 
And I think he probably has a little bit of that same, like, sitting there like, oh, I don't know what to do. Like, are they going to talk about this? And he's just feeling bad. And they finish up dinner. And it's time to clean up. And they come out and they hand the towel to him again. And he says, in this moment, this young guy looks up, looks in his eyes, and you can just see this moment of healing. As this couple basically says, it, it's okay. In fact, it's so okay that we trust you to do this again. Just because you made a mistake doesn't mean that you can't do this again. And I think for us, like we, we need to understand this. All right, you, you might be sitting here today and just kind of saying like, I don't think God can use me. I don't think I am... I've done too many things. There's too many things in my past. Or maybe you just have memories in your past of things that have happened, things that you've done, and they are crippling your ability to be used by God. And I just feel incredibly strongly that this this is where we needed to go. Out of this whole chapter, all the things that are going on, because there's, there's a ton happening in John chapter 21, that as I was writing this, I just felt God just kind of focus everything in on this one spot. That in the same way that Peter found healing, I think that Jesus wants to bring healing in this room this morning. I think there are people that maybe you don't realize it, that you have been leading from a place of hurt and pain. And before you go on this missions trip this week, before you head out to kids camp this week, before you have another group of campers coming in this week, before you head into work, before you go home and, and lead your family, before you interact with your coworkers, Jesus is saying, Take a moment here and find this healing because what I have for you is way too vital, way too important for you to be leading from a place of hurt and pain. I need you to be stepping into the plan A that I have for you. I need you to be able to view yourself in this way so that I can use you. Peter at the beginning of the book of Acts. We have the day of Pentecost. And Peter is the one. He is the leader that gets up and preaches a message and 3,000 people find Jesus. All right, I don't know if we would have the day of Pentecost. We would have that message in the same way. I think we would have the day of Pentecost. I don't know if Peter would have been able to get up and give that message and 3,000 people find Jesus if Peter hadn't dealt with the things that were in his past. I don't know. Maybe, maybe we could. This is all speculation. But I know that this was important enough for Jesus to take the time to find them again, to sit down and have a breakfast, to go for a walk on the beach with Peter, and to speak directly to his heart and say, I trust you. It's okay. I want to heal you. 
Can we stand this morning as, as we're finishing up? We're going to do this. I'm going to give us a little bit of time. We're going to have people down front that you can pray with. And I don't want us to feel like we need to rush this moment, okay? I don't want us to feel like this is something that we have to do on our own. And I feel like there's people in the room that this is something that, that needs to be dealt with. And as before service, I was talking with Lainey. Lainey just said, as I was praying this morning, I just felt like God was saying, there, there are people here this morning that are emotionally just hurt. She didn't know where I was going with this message. This is, this is the Holy Spirit speaking to her. I said, well, all right, that's, that's where we're going. So that's fine. So I want us to take the, the right amount of time here. If you're not going to spend time praying with somebody, I want you to find a spot where you're at. All right, I have a stand just so that we can kind of get our minds focused again. But if you need to sit in order to do this, feel free. If you want to make a little spot right where you're at. But let's take just a couple moments here. And let's say, God, reveal these past hurts to me. Reveal these things that I'm allowing to control my Leadership that I am allowing to control my walk? Because I think for a lot of people, the hurt that you have experienced is exactly where God wants to use you. God wants to redeem that situation. Peter becomes Jesus' mouthpiece on the day of Pentecost. When you look at the Gospels, what got Peter in trouble? His mouth. <laughs> All the time. I mean, he was the classic put your foot in your mouth nonstop. God wants to redeem your past, your hurt, your pain. God wants to use it. And even more than that, God wants to use you. So let's take a few moments. Prayer people, you guys can come up now. And the worship team is going to just kind of play a song again. You can spend time worshiping, you can spend time singing, you can spend time praying, and then in just a, a couple minutes here, we'll close. God, I pray this morning, Lord, for those of us that have, we're still dealing with things. God, things from our past. Lord, I pray that you would just be able to work in us right now, God, that we would be able to find the healing that we need God, that we would allow those things to come to the surface instead of pushing them down and burying them. God, that this week that you would just begin to, to bubble those things up to the surface in us, God, that you would bring things across our paths, Lord, that would remind us of these things. God, not so that we'd be feeling guilt or shame or anything like that, but so that we can truly realize what's holding us back and that we can hand that over to you. God, I pray for healing for every single person in this room. Last thing before we go, if you're here this morning and you feel like you have never handed things over to God, you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, that this is, this is all new to you, maybe it's your first time, maybe you've been coming for a while, but you're like, I, I need something different, I need something new, I need to be healed from things in my past, and if that's you this morning, 
I want you just to slip a hand up, just signaling that, God, I, I, I want to give my life to you. I'm done trying to do this on my own, and I need your help. So if that's you this morning, would you just slip your hand up? Yeah. Let's, let's close in prayer this morning together. If you're still praying, feel free. This room will stay uh, in, in this kind of uh, just an atmosphere and attitude. And if you need to spend some time in here with God, we, we want to do that. But God, I pray right now, Lord, for every single one of us. God, for those of us that feel like we just can't do this anymore, we can't keep going through the same motions, we can't keep allowing things from our past to hurt us, God, that you would just right now begin to deliver us from those things, that you would deal with those hurts, God, and that we would have the strength and the courage to actually hand those over to you. Jesus, just start something fresh and new in us this morning. We ask this in your name. Amen. We're going to let this room kind of just stay in this attitude. Worship team is going to just keep playing for a little bit. Uh, if you want to connect with people, uh, we'd encourage you to do that out in the foyer uh, as this room kind of just stays a place of prayer right now. All right, so thank you guys for being here today. You guys are dismissed.